Thank you. Hey, glad you're here tonight. Glad I'm here tonight. Here's what we believe. We believe that God orders our steps, yours and mine, that we're in the right place at the right time, and that God's got something He wants to impart to everybody, each of us, and each that they're watching live stream. So uh, uh, thank you, Jesus. And uh, we have an expectation in these days. We know that we're alive in a time frame that God's doing the biggest things that certainly we've ever seen and that God's pouring out on all the earth, every nation, all over this planet and doing magnificent things in people and we are a part of it. And I'm glad I am. I was made for the 21st century. I was made for air conditioning and jet airplanes. And... uh, We're also, though, we're made for this time to talk to you on the Internet. If, uh, um, But we want you here also, so we're not looking for people to just stay away. We're looking for people to come and be a part of it. But I'm glad each one of you that came are here. And I want to jump right into some things tonight that the Spirit of God's had uh, big in me. Not not just brand new, new big in me, but... uh, Man, he just has been clear about this for the time I'm going to spend here tonight. It's moving around safe, is that all right? Yeah, it doesn't. I'm fine. Big podiums are fine. But it's good to see you, Pastor Doug. It really is. And, of course, I've been with uh, Pastor Bob and Nid, so I'm glad you guys are here also. It's good to see every one of you, though. And... Uh, but I want to read a statement to you. We're going to use the Bible tonight a fair amount, which I feel is appropriate in a time like this. But the Gospel of John, chapter 16. I'm going to use a couple of different translations tonight also, just to keep you nimble and keep your mind uh, bouncing. But uh, the Passion Translation of John 16:15, Jesus said, Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say that the divine encourager will receive what is mine and reveal it. Reveal it to you. I wanted you to see this terminology that the Passion Translation uses, the divine encourager. I want to talk to you about what is one of the biggest issues I believe that you and me as Christians can devote ourselves to in serving God and being a part of the plan of how God ministers to people. Every one of us are called and given an assignment to build people up, to minister life, to take what we've got and have it multiply in somebody else. But it's the how do you do that that sometimes really trips people up is what do we do? We can be together, but it's not just being together that makes a difference. It's what we can impart. I want to talk to you about something about that impartation of this ministry of the Spirit of God who is the divine encourager. Let me start by talking about something God said to Joshua during one of the great transitions moments of the Bible. A transition out of the wilderness into the land of promise. That was the moment when Joshua had stepped up in leadership 
It was the moment when Moses had died. That's the first thing God told Joshua, <laughs> which I just think is an interesting way to start the conversation. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, I know Joshua had talked to God before, but I just think the moment here, it's interesting. But here's what God had to say to Joshua about what he was about to do and how he was going to get it done. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, Be strong and courageous. Said out loud, strong and courageous. Two things. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors I'd give them. Now let me park there just for a moment. Because every one of us, anybody serving God, we know that there is something God has in front of us all the time. That is a place that He is moving us to. We are in a constant journey. The journey is the place that God has. It's our place of victory. It's not that we're going to land someplace. It's that we're going to keep moving into that place. And this land of promise was that really in a big way. It wasn't just one place. You remember they started by taking Jericho. I've jumped ahead in time here. But they started by taking Jericho. But the rest of Joshua's entire life, and, and leadership was about taking new ground, one place after the other. Ultimately, 31 kings and kingdoms that Joshua and all of Israel conquered and possessed that land. And that was the journey. But here's what, here's what God said to him. It's going to take two things. It's going to take being strong, but not only being strong. You can be strong and not have courage. And you really don't get anything done. You can be courageous and not strong. So you are defeated, but have a smile on your face on your way down. <laughs> strong and courageous has to work together. Strong and defeated is not the concept that we're looking for. Paralyzed and courageous is also not the concept that we're looking for but he said you're the one but I want to just make that personal for you if you watching any of us here you also are the one that God is leading into something I think we have to keep that in mind now we are in the wildest times in our lifetime as far as information and concepts and pressures and strategies of the devil that seem to be coming up distractions and fears that people can uh, bow to and be pressured and squeezed by. But there is a constant design of the Spirit of God for you and me to be able to take ground, not give up ground. So here's what he said. He said, you're the one that's going to take this new ground. Verse 7, though, he said, he says it again. He says, be strong. This time he said, and be very courageous. So it's beyond just being courageous, it's being very courageous. And I want to talk about courage for a moment, and then I want to talk about encouragement. This word courage, I just have been fascinated by. You know, it comes from a French word, really. Our English language gets it from a French word. But I think it's also quite telling. I mean, we appreciate the Hebrew and a New Testament Greek and things of that nature, but even the French 
can contribute to your spiritual life. <laughs> and so let's just let, let that alone. But the French word courage, or the French word actually for heart, is where we get the English word courage. And I think that's quite telling, really. That real courage is to follow your heart and not your head. The deposit of God that's on the inside. Learning to live by the Spirit. For you and me as believers, it's learning to live by the deposit of the Spirit within and having the strength to follow that inward witness and inward direction and inward challenge that God gives you. You just find that every time God wants you to do something, it's something that you're fairly convinced you cannot do. But it takes strength and courage in order to step out and do it. I remember the first time that God was instructing me to go to Australia. I'd had that in my heart for a few years. Right after I got saved, I just felt like that was would be something cool. But then I'd followed surfing and, uh, you know, you just wonder if maybe some of that thought didn't come from the, you know, endless summer concept that you can just go surf here in the United States and then you can go around to the other side of the world and keep serving. Australia was always on my agenda. But I found in 1981, God gave me some very clear instruction that I was to go. And it was quite kind of odd, it seemed. I'd traveled, you know, I'd traveled with the Copeland ministry for a, a few years. Vicki and I worked for the Copeland's ministry. And, and uh, now I've been gone for several years. We left there in 1979. January of 79, we started our ministry 41 years ago. And, uh, yeah, praise God for that. Still doing it. But it was in 1981, the Lord started to talk to me and told me I was to go to Australia and attend a meeting that Brother Copeland was having for the first time he was going to be in Australia at the Opera House in Sydney. And I'd been in a lot of Kenneth Copeland meetings. He preached meetings that were much closer than Sydney, Australia. Sydney is nearly as far as I can go, not quite, but it's almost as far as I can go away from my house without starting back on the other side. Actually, Perth, Western Australia, where we've been, is is as far as I can go, which we've been there. Anyway, the Lord talks to me about going to this meeting of Kenneth's, and when I asked the Lord what the deal was, while it wasn't entirely to hear Kenneth preach, it was because he wanted me to set my feet on that nation and that this would be the first of many times that I was to go, and I've gone nearly every year since and ministered all over that nation. But when God spoke to me to go, we just had our ministry for a couple of years. The dollars were tight. Every dollar is committed. Overcommitted. And now, the, the amazing thing happens when God speaks. All God has to do is say something and you have the biggest need that you've ever had in your life. It's just with a word. A few minutes ago, things were fine. Now, I need thousands of dollars to do this simple thing that God has told me to do. Just with a word, bam, and your need is multiplied. 
So you got to decide what you're going to do with that. You're going to let fear grab your head, squeeze your heart, tell you you can't do it because you can't do it. Or with courage and faith, you just take it and step onto the path in that direction and let's just watch this thing unfold. Glory to God. Nerve-wracking. Unless you keep your eyes where they belong. Well, God gives us the word. I'm to go. Vic and I were in agreement. We knew it was the Lord. I'm going to go. She's not. She's going to stay. We make the plans. I make plans to go. Of course, you got to buy an airline ticket. And I'm not quite like the guys that just show up at the airport. And I, I appreciate those testimonies. I mean, I've heard them. That I think it's just amazing. There's a story. You know the guy. He got in line. He's about the fourth or fifth or whatever in line back when it kind of went this way. He's going to buy a ticket. You didn't have to go through all the things you do now. But uh, he's going to buy a ticket. He had no money to go. God told him to get get on the airplane and go somewhere. And he gets on his uh, gets to the airport to get a ticket to get on the plane. He doesn't have the money. He's third in line. Now he's second in line. Lord, it'd be great. Now's the time. You know, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, the, the next guy leaves, I'm next. Or I'm third or whatever it was. And just as this last person, before he's about to buy his ticket with no money, the fellow in front of him had just bought his ticket and as he stepped aside to walk away, he turned and he looked at his ticket and he looked at this fellow standing there next and he said, you know, I really don't want to go on this trip. You want my ticket? Handed him the ticket to go and do what God had told me. He said, yes, I think I will. And off he went. Glory to God. Now, I think that is phenomenal. That's way too tense for me. I mean, I've, it's just I do this all the time, man. It's like I'm not, I don't want to just show up. And uh, we found there are other ways that this can happen. Praise God. <laughs> Thank God but in this case, uh, the dollars were tight. Now I had the money to buy a ticket, but then I've got a hotel I'm going to be at in Sydney. You can imagine that one of the most expensive cities in the world. And I'm going to spend uh, five days there and just to go to one of Brother Copeland's meetings. But the Lord had told me what I was really doing there. I was putting my feet on that prop, on that land. And then he told me, he said, there'll be a man that you'll meet. And he will be a door that I'll use to open the doors of ministry to you in Australia. So, man, I went. Vicky stayed. I went. I'm spending money every day, eating lighter than I wanted to. But it's not about the food. You know what I'm talking about. It's about following the plan. While I'm gone, though, Vicky had gone to church that Sunday. We were attending a church there in Arlington at the time, and and uh, pastored by Joe Nay, a man of faith, man of God. <laughs> and and uh, he had started preaching that Sunday. Now, I'm already gone. I'm in Australia. She was left with very little to, to deal with the issues in the way of money. But uh, he gets up, and he begins to preach. And just a few minutes after he starts to preach, he sees Vicky. He said, Vicky, Vicky Burke. 
announces to the church. This is Vicki Burke. Her husband preaches the word. Where is Dennis today? She said, well, actually, he's in Australia. Australia! He was a, he was a great guy. Australia! Dennis is in Australia. Church, we're gonna receive an offering for the Burks. They'd already received the church offering. We're gonna receive an offering for the Burks. And they just got the ushers back out, got the buckets back out, and they received another offering. And, uh, God used that church at that time to do something we had to have happen. Praise God. That's, that's powerful. Glory to God. You follow your heart and do things that you, your head would talk you out of. And this is exactly what God was telling Joshua. Be strong and be courageous. There's another definition I want to give you for courage that's always meant a lot to me since I found it. It's just out of a dictionary. But it means to have a buoyant spirit. That's a picture that I love. A buoyant spirit. Somebody courageous is somebody that doesn't mean they don't get hit. And it doesn't mean things don't try to pull them under. But someone courageous goes ahead and kicks loose whatever has been dragging them down or slowing them down. And what happens? They're buoyant. Right back to the top they go. That's what happens when something is buoyant. It floats. You can't keep it down. Be strong and courageous. Courage doesn't mean you don't get hit with things that that make you wonder. Or even try to strike fear on the inside of you. Courage and being courageous is not the same as the absence of fear. It means that we've known how to handle that fear-filled concept with the power of God's Word, and it brings us right back to the top every time. It gets in our mouth. It's in our head, in our heart, and in our mouth so that we're saying what God says, even in the face of contrary information. Glory to God. Be strong, be courageous. It doesn't say here that Joshua was uh, felt all that that capable. He had been the assistant for a lot of years. But now it was his time to shine. And that's exactly what he was going to do. It takes strength. It takes courage. There's another man I want to mention to you from the book of Acts that really, really fills in a gap here that is amazing. You find him just a few times really in Scripture, always in the book of Acts. We're introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. His name is Joseph. And it says in Acts 4.36, Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And it goes on to say some things about Barnabas. But it caught my attention one day that they had changed Joseph's name for a reason. Why did the apostles think to change Joseph's name and to pick the name they picked? Son of encouragement. Because there was something about Barnabas that always had encouragement when they got around him. He would come in the room and it would lift people. Encouragers lift people. Some people are like a dark cloud coming into the room and suck 
all of the oxygen right out of the room. Look who just came. Time to go. I mean, we love them, but we want to love them at a distance. Is it fair to say that? I mean, is this too carnal for some? Am I being too honest? Can you be too honest? Barnabas was not this kind of guy. He was not the discourager of the brethren. He was the encourager. To where the apostles, and they seem to be given to giving different names in Scripture. It's kind of interesting. Started all the way back there with Abraham, I think. Anyway, they called him, instead of Joseph, they called him Barnabas. And that's really how we know him, isn't it? I mean, anytime you think of this person, it's Barnabas because he's always called Barnabas, except this one time we found out his name is actually Joseph. But he's the son of encouragement. The apostles saw it, named him. He's the man that encouraged others. You find in Acts chapter 11, him encouraging a whole body of people. But you also find him going to seek out Saul, who was also had his name changed to Paul. Another name change in the Bible. But uh, what did he do? He encouraged Paul to come back and meet up with the apostles. He was a connector. He's a very powerful person, used by God in big ways, and kind of an unsung hero, really, in the way things went. A lot of people are. There's a lot of people that are just, they don't get a lot of press, but they're doing some powerful things. Glory to God. Heaven's going to be different, I'm confident. It's going to be different than we think. You know, we're not sure there's front rows, but if there are front rows, we may not know too many people that are in the front rows. I mean, if you could say it that way. Anyway, that's another message. But uh, Barnabas, son of encouragement, he was an encourager. Man, we all need a Barnabas in our life. But even bigger than that, we all need to be a Barnabas for people. The kind of person that has a word of encouragement. You know, it's easy to find things to correct and things that you think are wrong. Your head can go right to it. Something that's wrong, something that needs correcting, something that I don't like about you. It's easy to do. We all can do it. But there's something powerful about the person that passes that by and finds the way to be an encourager, even in the midst of maybe some heavy situations. Barnabas was that kind of person. Son of encouragement. But there was something that that Paul showed us about himself in a situation that that he wrote the Corinthians about that I think gives us even better light on the need for encouragement and how powerful it is. We know that Paul was was one of the most powerful people to ever walk this planet. He saw miracles. He established churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, God used him in the most amazing ways. The revelation that he had is is still things that we seek to understand, man. <laughs> Please show me more. Amen. But he says something to the Corinthians that it just it grabbed my attention one day in a way that was somewhat shocking. 
It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 4, this is the New Living Translation. It says, I have the highest confidence in you. Now, wait a minute. This is 2 Corinthians. You remember, there was a 1 Corinthians. I don't want to run too fast for you, but having a 2 Corinthians is is the hint for you that there was a 1 Corinthians. You know, in 1 Corinthians, man, the Apostle Paul, he had a lot of correction for this church. I mean, there's a lot of revelation, but there were some things going on in Corinth that just didn't belong in church at all, and Paul pointed it out. He did correct them. It wasn't as encouraging as you'd like it to be. It was, but there was a lot of correction in it. It was rough at times. But here's the thing about the fact that there even is a 2 Corinthians. It tells us that the Corinthians received what Paul gave them and they stayed connected to the man of God long enough for him to write another letter. You know, not everybody wants the kind of correction that the Apostle Paul was offering. You know, not everybody's all that good with correction. Frankly, I don't care for it myself. Now, I don't mind giving some correction. As long as it's going that way, I think it's appropriate. If it's headed my way, I'm not sure. But some people think they want correction, and they come <laughs> they come for counsel. You know, people come for counsel. Of course, you know counseling as counselor. I won't get too deep in this because you know it better than I do, but not everybody that comes for counsel really comes to be counseled. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because real counsel ends up having some correction attached to it. Not all counsel is correction. But there's going to be some correction. If you didn't need some correction, you probably don't need to be here. Our pastor told us, our pastor out in California, that when we were first saved and first in the ministry as youth ministers, he told us, he said, you know, not everybody that comes for counsel wants it. What they really come for is comfort. They want to just have somebody to talk to. And in some cases, now, in, in your case, they'll actually pay money to get to talk to you. But you see, for most pastors and ministers... The reason they've gone to the pastor is so they don't have to pay you to listen to what they have been going through. They want to get some comfort. And you know this by the fact that when you give them, as a leader, give them some counsel, and there is a spirit of counsel. This scripture talks about it, Isaiah chapter 11. It's part of the anointing of the spirit of God. I think he's got it big time, man. It gets on her and it flows and then sometimes I run. When it's flowing, it's flowing. Not every time, not most of the time. Just a time or two. <laughs> but it's the anointing, man. It comes on and it, it's, it's clear, powerful. But when some people get real counsel, they didn't come for counsel. They came for comfort. Nothing wrong with giving comfort. I mean, there's there's a place for that. That's not always 
what counsel has to have. It has to have a little more than comfort. Particularly the kind of comfort some people want. The kind they want really isn't always a scriptural kind of comfort anyway. It's it's just somebody to listen to them spew and vent. Well, I am just not here for you to view and spent and vent all over. Right. Nobody has to be excited about these deep revelations. It's just the way it is. Yes, that's right. Pondering. <laughs> Pondering. <laughs> Glad it's the spirit of something. Anyway, the Apostle Paul, have I read from the Bible yet? I just got lost. Um, the Apostle Paul is about to give them some things in 1 Corinthians that was corrective as well as counsel, as well as revelation, and they received it. They stayed connected. I started to say oftentimes people in churches, they get some ministry of the Spirit of God that brings correction. They're out of here. They're gone. Because uh, they're not used to that. They're not accustomed to that. That's not why they're here. And they uh, find somewhere else to go. Well, anyway, the Corinthians stayed connected. That was a long way to, to go to get to that one small point. But now Paul says it this way. He says, I have the highest confidence in you. So Paul has seen it, realized that they have stayed and received and took the correction that Paul and the Spirit of God through Paul gave them. But then he goes on, he says, I take great pride in you. This is not just putting up with, man. He was excited about what's happening in the Corinthian people. And he goes on, and still in verse 4, he says, you've, You've greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all of our troubles. That that line always gets me. In spite of the trouble I've had with you and the trouble you've had with me, I still take great pride in you. I like that. But verse 5 is what I want us to get to. He said, when we arrived here in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Now watch this next line. This is phenomenal. We face conflict from every direction. With battles on the outside. But look at this. This is what was shocking to me. And fear on the inside. What? Battles on the outside. We understand that. We've all been in the battles of one type or another. And we knew. I mean, you read the book of Acts and Paul's in the battles. There's all kinds of them. Some of them he stirred up himself. Others were the devils being stirred up. Others religious people stirred up. But he was in battle after battle after battle on the outside. But what seemed shocking to hear from Paul. Now, it wouldn't shock shock me if it came from me. But hearing that it came from the Apostle Paul, battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Wow. You mean Paul dealt with the same kind of stuff? And it hit him just as hard as it hits me? Well, of course, in our head, you say, well, of course, Dennis, that's true. But to know that Paul faced things that he had to grab hold and take hold of himself and deal with, 
It didn't just happen. It had struck him and brought fear at first. That's what he said. I'm not making this up. That's what he said. Battles on the outside. Now that says a couple of things to me. One is that if you've been struck by fear on the inside over something that's coming at you, you don't have to feel like the Lone Ranger or the, like you're failing. Or like you're, you've become weak. You can be strong. I don't think Paul was weak. I don't ever think of the Apostle Paul and bring the word weak alongside that idea of Paul. No, he was not weak. Now, this was a point in time where Satan, no doubt, was trying to weaken him and destroy him. That's what fear is designed to do. Here's the game, man. Battles on the outside are designed to strike fear on the inside. One type or another. Whatever the battle is. It can be financial. It can be marital. It can be, it can be health. It can be kids, parents, neighbors, airplane flights. Whatever it is, it's come to strike fear on the inside because fear is the currency of the kingdom of darkness. Just like faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And if Satan can find a way to get you in fear, Afraid of people, afraid of their opinions, afraid of their words, afraid of them not saying anything. Whatever it is that he can find a way to amplify a fear, now he's found a foothold. So the battles on the outside are not the real issue. What the people say on the outside is not the real issue. What Satan's after is the precious fruit on the inside to find a way to shut it down. Fear on the inside will derail faith from functioning. Battles on the outside are not the real... They are issues. We can't ignore them. We know they're there. And so faith isn't ignoring them, but faith... The life of faith and grace sees through them to understand what the real goal here is. It is to get me derailed off course, away from my power source, by fear. And Paul had it happen to him. But he didn't leave it there. It didn't dominate him. It didn't rule him. It didn't control him. It didn't... Bring him to points of decision based on the fear. But he faced it. And then look what he says about this. Battles on the outside, fear on the inside. Verse 6, but God. Say it out loud, but God. All right, I've said this before. I'm not sure I should, but I feel like I should. you got to keep your butt in the right place for this to really, really make sense as to how powerful it is. Everything before the but is changed by what comes right after the but. As long as we keep that real, you realize that the battles on the outside and particularly the fear on the inside is changed by what comes next. And this is amazing. He said, but God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us. Now watch this. By what? How did encouragement come to Paul? He saw an angel. 
He had a visitation. God swept him up. He levitated. He saw demons run. And none of this. I mean, it's all dramatic, and I'd love it if that was the case. But it's it's far more natural in the way courage came back to Paul. I was encouraged by the arrival of Titus. Somebody showed up. That's amazing. And it wasn't a whole group of people. You'd like to think there's a whole group that would. But so many times there there really isn't a whole group that shows up. It was just one. Titus. And who is Titus? He was just one of the people that Paul had had a great deal of influence over. And Paul had typically been the one to minister to him. Give him leadership and direction. Wrote him a letter they creatively titled the book of Titus. He showed up. Sometimes just showing up is actually all it's going to take to bring some encouragement. Or the lack of showing up might solidify the discouragement. Well, this is what Paul said. We were encouraged. He encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy. And so was the news he brought about the encouragement he received from you. Man, look at how much encouragement is going on around here. There's people encouraging Titus. Titus goes and encourages Paul. Paul has encouraged the Corinthians. Something really important about encouragement. Because it feeds a person's courage. It's what facilitates so many times this buoyancy that can come up in a person. It doesn't take a lot always. Sometimes it just takes a little. Sometimes it just takes showing up. I'll tell you what it took for us one time. Vic and I, a few years ago, about almost five years ago now, we got in a really tough, tough time, came under physical attack. Satan was flooding our heads with a real bad report. And, you know, your body testifies to how true this bad report is probably is. And, uh, you know, we're not novice, man. And we've, we've dealt with things in the Word and by the Spirit of God before and seen miracles in ourselves and in others. So uh, this, this isn't something we are at a loss to know what to do. But, you know, when something's talking to you every day, day and night, and it's telling you one thing, and it's not good. It starts to squeeze you and tries to plant fear on the inside of you. And that fear starts talking to you. Your head starts. You speak in the Word, and that's what we were doing. We were speaking the Word. We're saying what God says. We're standing on the promise of God, but nothing's changing. And when nothing's changing, we know what to do. We've done it many times. You do what the Word says to do. When you've done all to stand, you stand. So we're standing even though standing did not come easy. So we've been in this for a few days now. And so 
on this particular afternoon, I think it was in the afternoon, we were together, and I get a text from somebody that has never texted me before, ever. He didn't text me. I didn't text him. We've known each other for several years. He actually used to pastor a church. We ministered for him. I had never texted him. He had never texted me. I don't call him. He doesn't call me. It's a perfect friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, not, not really. Yeah, but very low maintenance. I mean, he's the kind of guy, there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. So we continue to do nothing for each other. (laughs) And that has been working for us for years. But now, suddenly, I get a text. And his opening words in this text, even though it's a long text, and there's quite a bit in it, and it was all really powerful, but the opening line is all we really needed right then. And this is all he said in those opening words. I have found myself praying for you and Vicky over the last few days. Yeah. Well, it's been the last few days that we wanted somebody praying for us. But, you know, we don't get on the horn and just put the word out to as many people in prayer chains as we can find and get people to pile on God to convince God to finally do something for us. I mean, that's what it sounds like people try to do. You know, if we get enough people, man, maybe God will finally get the word. Like we're really pressuring him into something he's resisting with all of his might. Yeah, you know. So, so we don't put the word out to the prayer chain and everybody we know and few people we don't know that we wanted and needed somebody. No, we know how to stand. No, maybe two two people would have known anything about what we were involved in. But God's got our back. God's not oblivious. We don't feel Him right now. We just feel what's going on right now. And it feels lonely. But we know how to stand in lonely situations. We've done it many times. But something happened when we got this text. I found myself praying for you and Vicky over the last few days. The other things that he said were powerful, had to do with ministry stuff and different things. It was a real prophetic word. But those were the words that we needed to hear. Our Titus had showed up. In a text. It doesn't take a lot to be an encourager. Doesn't take a lot to show up. Doesn't take a lot to be used by God. We've got people that cry out to God, Oh God, I want to be used by you. But if the idea comes of sending a note, a card, a text, a call, just a hello, you know, what are they going to think? You know, well, I don't know how they'd feel. And they never hear from me, which is just evidence of the strength of your friendship, in my opinion. They never hear from me. But now you're going to send something to them? 
We talk ourselves out of things. As if it's just us. Ah, they don't need this. Well, we sure did. And here it came. And and just to put a cap on that story, it was, looking back, it was from that moment and then later that evening that we saw the, the beginning of this thing turning. And within, I think, two days, we were done. It was all done. We were out. Glory to God. It had been a week-long thing, but it shifted with a word of encouragement. That's what hit us. God had somebody on it, and we knew that He wasn't the only one. He was just the only text we got. Well, that's all we needed. That was it, man. But the point is, we needed a Titus. God had a Titus, a Barnabas, and they showed up. You know, I I know we're firm believers in the power of prayer. And prayer doesn't really re- require that we say anything to anybody. But so oftentimes, encouragement requires that we say it. If it's not said, it's not happening in this relationship. Things that are thought only are not in a relationship until they're said. It's like the guy said, or the wife said, you know, you haven't told me. You don't tell me that you love me. Told you I loved you when I married you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) That just doesn't really work, does it? Because if it's not being said, it's not in the relationship. It's in your head. But Titus didn't leave this in his head. He showed up. So let me give you three ideas about encouragement, and then I'm going to pray for you. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 says, But encourage one another every day while it is today. That sounds like a very clear direction from the Lord. I don't think that's very confusing at all. Encourage one another every day. Do we do that? Okay. I said we. I meant you. Do you do that? That was so cold. We believe the Word. We act on the Word. And if you don't, it's not to be condemned over it. It's just to know this is something about the way we act and what we do that is one of the most spiritual activities we can possibly be involved in. This is one of the ways that is just as powerful as praying for somebody. Titus didn't just pray, he showed up. Others prayed, but Titus got mentioned. Now, it's not that we're looking for a mention, but there's something powerful about the fact that he showed up. He said, encourage one another every day. Are you encouraging somebody? Anybody? Even yourself. Sometimes we just, and we'll get to that in a moment, but 
Sometimes it's just encouraging yourself. Although in this case, at this point, that's not the point. The point is encourage somebody. And it's not always that hard. Sometimes it's just a very simple idea. Hey, I was thinking about you today and it was good. I think it was Jerry Savelle, somebody, I think it was Jerry, he got a phone call from John Osteen years ago. Hey, Jerry, this is John, thinking about you. Click. That was it. There was nothing else said. Thinking about you, click. But he tells that story to this day. Now, that's not that hard to do. It's not all that deep. <laughs> Didn't take a great deal of thought. It really wasn't all that meaty. But it was something that stuck and meant something. Thinking about you. You could add a little something to it. Thinking something good about you. <laughs> it embellishes slightly. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Before you say it, embellish it, and then you can say it. These are important things, frankly, as to how we are spiritual and how we are contributing to the cause of Jesus in building people, blessing people. And it's, to some people, not all that deep. It's not all that powerful. It's not the same as giving a prophecy. Well, you can give a prophecy if you've got one. I mean, that's the very next idea. There are... Some encouragements that are just daily kind of ideas. The others is spiritual encouragement. The Apostle Paul said it to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. He said, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by you. It's a two-way thing, isn't it? What Paul was talking about doing is as powerful as ministry gets. But he also expected it to be reciprocal. I want to encourage you in your faith. So there'll be some meaty things that God will have us say from time to time, people. God will give us a prophetic word or a, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Something that is not just a hello, hey, thinking about you, even though that can be so powerful. He said, encourage each other spiritually. The pastor we worked for, Pastor Rizal, we mentioned him a lot of times. He, he was he real significant in our life, early Christian life, as Brother Copeland has been all through the years. But uh, oftentimes, Pastor Rizal didn't, he didn't have a lot of conversation. But what he said was meaningful and it was powerful and he was an encourager. Now, he didn't pat you on the back. A lot. He told us one time. He said, look, if you're in the ministry, to have somebody pat you on the back and tell you what a good job you're doing, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong job. So you might as well get used to it around here. That's not the way it is in the ministry, and that's not the way it is around here. (laughs) And he meant it. And it was true. There wasn't a whole lot of patting on the back. Good job, Dennis. Good job, Vicky. I don't remember that ever, not once.
I haven't taken that as my final example of how to handle things. I believe it's important to encourage people. I think it's as spiritual as anything we do. But then there's times. There's times in our life all of us face when there's no Barnabas coming. There's no Titus to be found. You really are on your own. You're going to stand alone. Doesn't mean God doesn't have somebody that hasn't reached out to you. God's got people praying, doing things. We know that. It's great when we hear from them, but they don't always show up. And what it comes down to really for us, each one of us, is that we will have to stand alone. The only encouragement that we are going to get is encouragement that we bring to ourselves. Is that the way it should be? Probably not. But that is the way it is a lot of times. So King David is one of our great examples of so many things. But before he was king, there was that event and that moment in time. He'd gone to Ziklag, which was Philistine territory, cut a deal with enemies, really, to live peacefully there in their territory. Not just him alone. It was him and 400 men and all of their families. So this is a city. They had built their tent city outside of Ziklag. And the men would were going to leave and take care of some business elsewhere, and they were gone for just a couple of days, really. But while they were gone, enemies, other enemies of David, David had a long list of enemies. People liking you is not evidence that you're following Jesus. He had a long list of people that hated him. And the Amalekites were among that group. And the Amalekites had found the city of David's people. All the men were gone and they came in and you know what happened. They took the women captive. They took all the children and they burned the tent city to the ground. They took all the possessions and everything else was just left in rubble and ash. And when the men came back with David to the city, everything was gone. Everything was destroyed. They had absolutely nothing. Now maybe you've been stripped down to nothing at some stage in your life. It's no picnic. But they didn't collectively only get stripped down to nothing. The men were so agonizing over their loss that they did what a lot of people do. They turned on the one person The one person that was walking with God and walking with them and that had done everything to give to them what they had, they turned on David. And they wanted to kill David. So here's what the Scripture says. I know you're familiar with it, but I'm taking you through it again. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. This is in the Amplified Bible, classic Amplified where David was greatly distressed, for the men spoke of stoning him, because the soul of them were all bitterly grieved. 
Each one for his sons and daughters. Man, they're grieving. They're in grief. You don't think right when you're in grief. You don't think straight. You don't handle things properly when you're in grief. This is why you've got to resist grief. Because it is deadly. They were grieving over their loss. They turned against David because of their own grief. They couldn't see right because of their grief. It wasn't what David had done. It was what the Amalekites had done. It's not always even, here's the thing, it's not always what somebody has done. It is what the devil has assigned against you to strike fear in you and bring some response out of you that is going to take you in the wrong direction. Ask me how I know. I'm not going to tell you. But what does David do? We love this line. And the Amplified Bible is so powerful. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is what God told Joshua. Now David's bringing it up here. Strength and courage. Now he has to encourage himself. He doesn't have anybody. I mean nobody. Doesn't have his wife. She's been taken captive. Doesn't have his kids. They've been taken captive. Doesn't have his men. They hate him. David's the problem. He wasn't the problem. They didn't realize it, but he was going to be the answer. So what does he do? He encourages and strengthens himself. That's no picnic. Because you're dealing with self-pity at that point. Oh, God, I'm so alone. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. (laughs) And nobody cares. I'm alone. It's so sad. I'm so sad. God, take me home. Yes, yes. Nobody will miss me. They won't know for months that I'm gone. (laughs) They'll find my dead body. It stinketh. (laughs) It's been days. They don't miss me because nobody cares. What did David do? He didn't do any of that trash. He encouraged himself and he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What that tells us, and we don't, I don't like this, but what that tells us is there's there's no excuse for you to get into your pity party. And if you get in it, get out of it. Because, and, and nobody's gonna help you out. Cause once you're in it, nobody wants to be around you anyway. I mean, they're already gone, but if they drop by, they're gone in a hurry. Titus wouldn't hang around. Paul gonna whine and complain and tell how many people have deserted him. David strengthened himself. And you know what happened? 
It's just two verses later. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord answered and said, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail you will recover all. That word and that courage and that strength was enough not just for David, but for all 400 men. David announced this to these 400 men, and off they went. They pursued, they overtook, and they recovered everything. Glory to God. David was the only one that was going to get it, because he was the only one that inquired of the Lord. That's what it takes. Satan will come at you with whatever your your weak link is. He's not looking for your strength to fight you on that level. He's not interested in where you're strong. He's looking for where you're weak. That's it. It's like that boxer. You've watched boxing. I watch boxing. I like watching boxing. It's something about somebody getting beat up really good. It's just seems, seems biblical. I'm not sure. But you know what, what happens, that boxer? He cuts, gets a, he gets the other guy cut over his eye. Just a small cut. Just a little cut. This is why they've got special cut people in the corners to fix the cut. But from that point, once there is a little cut over the eye, there's only one target that that opponent has. He's not looking for body shots. He's not looking to hit you in the jaw. He's looking to open that cut wide. Because if he can get that cut open and get you bleeding, the fight's over. One target. He's looking for your weakness, not your strength. So what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord is God. What does that sound like? Well, it can sound like a lot of different things. It starts with a declaration. You may not even be all that energized when you give it. I'm in victory in Jesus' name. Devil, get away from me. I'm victorious. I'm healed. I'm forgiven. Well, you don't sound very convincing. I don't have to sound convincing, but I have to start. And something just happens. When you start, and you start speaking what God says, something starts to shift. And you go from being the whiny-sounding, barely-making-it, dragging-a-leg kind of Christian, to you are a powerhouse. In the name of Jesus, I do overcome. I'm going over. I am not going under. I'm the healed, I am the forgiven, I am the victor. It doesn't matter what I feel like, healing is mine. And it just starts to become a roar that comes out of your spirit. This isn't something you're just talking yourself into. You are opening the floodgate of your innermost being. This isn't some mental game we're playing. This is unlocking and aligning our spirit and soul, where Satan has tried to break 
this connection through fear and depression and darkness of one type or another. And we are just bringing that alignment into place. We're out of our innermost being. There is a flood of the force of our victory in the name of Jesus. I have encouraged myself. Nobody else has to agree. I don't need a text right now. I'm ready. That shift takes place. We are always capable of that kind of power. Every instant. There is nothing Satan can do to derail you where you don't have that capacity. You know Jesus. He's on the inside. He said He'd never leave, done forsake us. He's on the inside. His grace is more than enough for any and every situation that we face. But it's not automatic in the sense that God doesn't do for us what we must do ourselves. He's done everything that it takes for this to happen. But you can stay depressed if you choose to. David could have stayed depressed, run for his life. They probably would have killed him. We wouldn't have this story, but what does David do? He, pers- he encourages himself and goes before the Lord. Strengthened himself. So many times, and in these days, there's such a variety of things that come at us in order to strike fear of one type or another and drain the courage right out of you. I mean, if you just watch the stock market over the last four days... That could drain the courage out of you. But I refuse to fear. You know, the market is driven by two things that are so not biblical. Greed and fear. And if you move by either of those, you are going to move in a wrong direction. I refuse to fear. Even though my knees may be knocking. And that's true on all different kinds of things. All different things. So I want us to come in for a landing here tonight. I want us to lay hold on something together. Let me ask you to stand with me if you would. God put something in my spirit a few weeks, or really a week or so ago. Vic and I were talking about some things that I'm dealing with. And I realized I needed to launch a war on fear. Amen, brother. Launch a war on fear. I may talk about it more Sunday. But launch a war on fear. Fear is a, a killer. It's a disconnect. It's the very thing that has sparked All of the energy of the kingdom of darkness against us. And we're just not going to let fear have any place in us. So with courage, we rise up even in the face of things that seem fear-filled. That because of Jesus, because of what we know in our calling, our assignment, our walk, we're not going to live in fear. 
We're not going to let the, a root grow in us. Or if it's in us, we're not going to let it remain in us. We're going to pry it out. Flood it with courage. And, and it's not just courage alone. The Bible is real clear about this. It's perfect love that drives fear out. I remember the messages that Kenneth Copeland taught on this. It was amazing where he talked about that specific idea, and he used this terminology. Love flushes fear out. Washes it out. Growing in this love that God has for us, what love has provided to us, and really that's the message of grace, what has been finished on our behalf, flushes fear out. Glory to God. Fear free. That's what happened with David. He became fear free when he had every one of his friends ready to kill him. Wasn't just the enemies now. You don't have to worry about the enemies sometimes as much as you have to worry about the friends. Then you get delivered from the whole thing. You don't have to be afraid of any of it. That's what happened with David. Glory to God. He had enough courage for all of them. Thank you, Jesus. So I don't know what's been hitting you. Of course I don't. But I know these are answers that God's got something in front of us. A land to take like he had for Joshua. An enemy to conquer like he had for David. A discouragement and things that it set in like he had for Paul. Whatever's going on, there's encouragement. Float right back to the top. Buoyant. Father, in the name of Jesus, here we are tonight. We stand in your presence, Lord, and we understand that what you said to David, you say to us. Pursue. You will overtake. And you will recover all. Say it out loud. Pursue. Overtake. And recover all. That's the assignment right now. We are pursuing. And we are overtaking. And we recover everything. Whatever Satan is used to steal, kill, and destroy anything in our life, our house, our finance, our relationships, we pursue, we overtake, and we recover all. Lift a hand and say it again. I pursue right now. And I overtake right now. And I recover all. It begins right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Come on, let's seal it with our praise. We seal it with our joy. We seal it with our gladness of heart. In the name of Jesus, we pursue, we overtake, and we recover all. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's rejoice just another moment. Hallelujah. We do receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you glad you came tonight? Well, I'm really glad you did too. And I'm glad I did also. And I'm glad you showed up wherever you are. Praise God. We're glad you're here too. Amen. Come on. Shout another praise while Pastor David comes. I'm right ahead, sir.